ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I'm going to go ahead and start today with somewhat of, I guess, the tradition that I've had over the last several weeks, or maybe I should say it's becoming a tradition, and that's just kind of recapping my week in the hobby. And even after years of buying and selling cards online, it, uh, it never ceases to amaze me that you still run into a first, a first time that you've encountered a situation. And that happened to me once again this week. After buying this last large collection, there's a ton of complete sets and sealed wax that was was in this collection that I bought. And I've been selling quite a bit of these sealed factory sets from the 80s, and I ship them in, in flat rate boxes. And the other day, I got a message from one of my customers that said, hey, the box was delivered today, but the problem is it was only the box. There was nothing inside it. And he sent a couple pictures, and it had the the infamous weak hair tape across the, the package from the post office. And it looks like somebody had taken a box cutter, sliced the bottom of that box right open, and taken out the complete sets that were inside. And so that's the first time that has ever happened. I've heard stories of that. You see that on message boards and forums about this happening from time to time. But a package was sent. It was sliced open, the sets were removed, and the post office delivered that empty box. I filed a claim with the post office. We'll see if that ever comes to to fruition. I I think this is the actual first claim that I've ever filed. I'm hoping that it's pretty easy because I've got pictures of the damage. I've got pictures of their sticker on it, and even the tracking, if you look in the tracking, the tracking notes visible damage as, as an item that was captured through the tracking process and so hopefully with all of that there shouldn't be an issue of getting that that claim and with the sets that I sold in this package that insurance that comes with priority mail should cover almost the entire purchase cost and so hopefully I won't be out any money but again first time for everything even after selling for multiple years thousands of, of shipments first time I've ever had this situation come up. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, that's, a, that's those are pretty good odds. Those are pretty good percentages for, for the to generate the sales that I've generated over the years. But anyway, I thought I'd share there's always a first. Another thing I wanted to share is I had a great time this last week sitting down with the guys from NASCAR Radio, and they, they interviewed me about my NASCAR collection. I have a small NASCAR collection, and we also talked a lot about buying and selling on ComC because that's a way that I raise some of the funds to purchase some of those NASCAR cards. And that's also um, the place where I sell off some of the extra NASCAR 
cards that I have gotten in some of these different collections that I buy. And so we had a great conversation. You can check that out on both YouTube and iTunes or your podcast app of choice. That is NASCAR Radio. So thanks to, to Val and, and the guys from, from NASCAR Radio for having me on. I'd encourage you to check out that situation. The other thing that I just wanted to shout out is it, it was renewal time for a couple of my sponsors, and I wanted to thank the sports card shop at MoCo and Underdog Collectibles for renewing once again and staying on as sponsors for, a, for another period of time here. Uh, I really appreciate their partnership and their sponsorship, and it really helps me uh, do a few extra things here with the podcast and for the podcast. So thanks again to the sports card shop at MoCo and Underdog Collectibles for renewing as sponsors. And while, while we're on it, let's go ahead and talk about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by Collectors for Collectors that breaks new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. You can see what they're going to be breaking this week by checking them out at udogcollect.com. You can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, where you can see their full selection of singles, wax, supplies, and even watch some of these breaks live there in the shop. And you can also learn more about their group submissions to SGC. They're an approved group submitter to SGC. You can learn more about that on udogcollect.com as well. And when you check them out, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. Let's go ahead and move on to our interview today, and that is with Ty Wilson of Bench Clear Media, Breaker Culture, and now Chasing Cardboard. I'm not going to get into it too far here. I'm going to let the interview speak for itself, but here we go. Great conversation with Ty. I hope you enjoy it. Today, I want to welcome Ty Wilson back to the show. Ty is the man behind the Breaker Culture podcast, and he's one of the co-founders of Bench Clear Media. Ty, welcome back. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me back, Mike. I think it's been about two years since you were last on the show. I, I looked it up earlier. I think it was episode 56, kind of right at the beginning or in the middle of 2020, kind of yeah. in the thralls of the, the first round of COVID and none of us knowing what was going to be going on with all that kind of stuff. But um, it's been a couple of years, but I wanted to have you back on. A, a big part is just to catch up a little bit, let people know kind of what's been going on. I think one of the things that I've been trying to have a conversation with people about yeah. is what's changed for you, right? There's so much has changed in the last couple of years. We've had so many new entrants come into the hobby, but there's a bunch of us that had been around prior to this most recent run-up. And even for us that have been in, in things for a while, a lot has changed. So how about for you, from, from your own collecting perspective, how how has that evolved or changed or, or maybe it stayed the same for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. It's crazy. It's been two years. We ran into it until the last year. Was it in Vegas, right? Yep. Yeah, we ran into it yeah, at the, the Beckett Summit. And it yeah, was, the Summit, we, we got a chance to talk there too, yep. And it's funny looking back through our Twitter chains and messages together, seeing some of the trends that we've talked about. It's pretty cool. Uh, so what's changed? I would say it probably is about the same when it comes to content and collecting wise. And, and I think it centers around focusing less about or focusing less on what's popular, focusing more on what I enjoy. Um, collecting that's easy because you can PC guys and I can find guys that my kids want to collect and kind of focus on that and do it with them. But from a content side, you've probably gone through this. It's, it's a grind, man. Like, it's very easy to fall into the trap, especially like from 2020 to 21 of trying to see, Hey, what are the trends? What are the keywords and put out content to match that? Because you know, that's what'll get the clicks. 
And then you realize you burn out, you don't like it, uh, and you don't have anything good to say. And so it's like, step back, talk about what you enjoy. And I think people will appreciate that more. So I think that's probably what I've been working on. Yeah, I think I've, I've kind of felt that same thing. There's a, there's a point where I think you realize a little bit, you can't be all things to all people. And that there's ultimately going to be some segment that latches on to the messages that you're trying to share and the, the topics that you want to share and are passionate about. And there's others that aren't, are going to care less and may yeah. even hate the fact that you're talking about certain topics or whatever. And I think for me, I, yeah, I've, I've just gotten comfortable with that's the reality that we face. Um, and that's why, I, from my perspective, I think it's great that there are so many content alternatives out there for people because yeah. there's plenty of opportunity for people to find the things that they resonate with. And um, if we can, as creators, can be be authentic with the content that we're creating, at the end of the day, we're going to find the audiences that that, that appeals to and, and they're going to latch on and connect with us. That's that's great. You've also had some some moves, right? I think last time we talked, you were still in Missouri. Yeah. And now yeah. You, you've you've made a move to Idaho, right? We did. Yeah. So about a year, year and three months ago, we we purchased a place up in, in Idaho, uh, into the mountains and something we've been dreaming about doing for a while, my wife and I. And my oldest was just entering middle school. And so, you know, we have six kids. So it's like, let's let's get ahead of this. If we pull a kid out of high school, it's just impossible and tough for the kid. So we, we made the, we made the move and it's been, it's been good. No regrets. No regrets. I was a little surprised, I think, because when we had talked last, I believe you had made some comment about not enjoying yard work and, and working outside. And now you've got like a hobby farm with some animals and, and things like that. And I was like, that's, that's, I don't remember Ty expressing that interest in, uh, there's in a difference. Of of there's a difference between like beautifying your yard because your neighbors expect you to versus like doing yard work to produce something for your family. And I've realized I enjoy the producing something for your family part a lot more. You know, you, you touched on content you touched on kind of focusing on, on things you enjoy. One of the other shifts that I've noticed in your content is when you were doing breaker culture originally, it was audio only and it was supporting or in conjunction with the content that you were producing on the website as well, you know, kind of going hand in hand there. And now you guys and what you're doing both for your own breaker culture channel as well as as the bench clear channel is almost purely video content that then yeah. also translates into to audio release. Talk to me a little bit about the decision to kind of make that pivot and that switch. I think I just got burnt out with the podcast side of things. And I realized it was pretty easy. It was easier to record something on YouTube and throw it into anchor for a podcast versus record a podcast and try to like manipulate it into YouTube. And so I think that's where the shift took place. And then with bench clear, right? We just had a lot of good success with, with some of the videos that we put out and I, I got, I got hooked on it. And so there's some, I think there's some authenticity about seeing, like right now we see each other, you know, I know there's no video piece of this, but there's an authenticity about just seeing people's face that I really like. And so, and not to mention there's monetization, right? YouTube monetization is easier to kind of quantify and figure out how to, how to work the system. And you and I value our time. So I value my time. As, as some of these changes have happened as we've had new entrants to come into the collecting community. You know, we've had others who've kind of 
maybe come and gone already at this point. When, when we last talked, it was also right at the beginning, fairly, you had fairly recently launched BenchClear as a network. I was just curious from your perspective, how has, how has the evolution of the network and the content that, that you guys are producing, how has that kind of matched the expectations that you had of what you're trying to accomplish? And how has that maybe evolved in a different way than you, you thought you might be going? Yeah, I mean, I think we had lofty expectations. We had expectations that, and it, this was it was probably it was probably because of all the hype and the hobby at that time, right? Where it's like everybody's consuming content. If we get some voices together and we put out content every couple of days, like, and of course, it's going to latch on. People are going to love that. And it's just it's easier said than done for one. And and I think some lessons learned, right? We had a lot of different directions we were going. And to your point earlier, like if you don't have a focus, people don't know what to expect. And so you kind of, you try to be all things to all men and you end up missing most people. And so we did a lot of that early on. And so we've narrowed our focus and, you know, we, you, it's easy to judge success by subscribers or views and that's great, right? There's been plenty of subscribers and we, I would say we're kind of right in the middle of where we thought we would be. There's no, there's no, we're not, we're not making money, right? We're, we're actually, we're doing it more so because we have fun and we just enjoy working together as a crew, putting out content. So it's met expectations, exceeded expectations from that front, but obviously it's, it's far below our expectations and when what I thought it would be monetarily wise, which is totally fine. One of the, one of the other things I wanted to hit on is a little bit about some of those trends that we've been seeing recently. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the content that you guys put out is, and, and this dates back even to when it was the breaker culture content that it was very data driven, right? There, yeah. there was a, a foundation of data that kind of influenced the content that you were creating. Over the last several months, there's been some that have dubbed you and Mike as the prophets of doom. <laughs> there are some of the content, um, you know, has, has talked about some of the data that supports some of the downward trends that we've now realized over these last couple months. How do you think about that perception from those of you that, that have, have dubbed you the, the prophets of doom? How do you, how do you think about that type of, of feedback or um, people interpreting what you're sharing in that type of way? Yeah, it was interesting because when that, when that happened, it was really right at the peak. And it, and it wasn't because we, we were seeing data that really convinced us. We had a lot of conviction around the supply. And we felt like there was just too much supply. And I, although there was tons of hype and tons of excitement and certain people in the hobby thinking there was nowhere to go but up, we just both were convinced that the, the supply was eventually going to just crack us as a hobby. And we got labeled that because we were, we were telling people to be very careful, be very careful about the money you're spending because you're just gonna, there's going to be loads of this stuff in six months. And I think the frustrating part was like, hey, we got labeled that and that's totally cool. It's YouTube. I don't really care what people think, but they don't really know what we collect. Right? At the same time, like I'm buying just as much as I could for my own PC and other things that I like because I love the hobby. Well, you can balance the two, right? And I think people think that if you say one thing, you can't do the other. And it's like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to hype something up because I want to make money. I'm just trying to be honest about what I see. What I see. And Mike's a portfolio now, uh, analyst. You know, he sees things from a financial perspective. And just, yeah, we, we, got, we got conned that name pretty quickly. And we kind of actually just played it up. We, you probably noticed that. We played it up and 
Yep. End up proving, proving us right in the end, but it's fun. <laughs> Life's too short to get caught up and worried about that stuff. You know, it's like, I laugh about it. It's sports cards at the end of the day, guys. It's like, come on, chill out. I think one of the things that I find interesting about it is it brings up a valid topic of walking this line between sharing information based on data from past experience, from people who have seen cycles in the hobby before compared to this, a new group of people who um, are experiencing this type of cycle for the first time and, and have not seen these typical ups and downs trends. We see both in the, in the card market, as well as really every other market that's out there matched with this idea of, oh, you guys are just being negative. You're, you're resistant to change, you know, all of these types of things that all get kind of wrapped together. Right. And, and there is that balance of, not being negative or overly negative, but still talking about the realities of, of the data of, of what we're seeing. And, the, and just because you're pointing out those things doesn't make you negative, right? Um, wanting to help people see through some of these cycles that we've all experienced in the past, if you've been in the, the hobby prior to 2020, um, you know, that's just what we've seen. And yes, the future might be different, but it also repeats the, the past a lot. The history repeats itself quite a bit. And so I just found it interesting that that's what people were latching on to. For you, it's the Prophets of Doom, right? That was the, the title. Um, sometime for me, it's a, you know, you're resistant to change. You don't understand the, this new, you know, collecting focus and this new batch of collectors that, that we've got in the hobby now. Um, yeah. There's a little bit of that all the time, I think, that, that we have to face as, as content creators if we are kind of being authentic and kind of sharing that full breadth of experiences that we've seen. Uh, yeah, no, it's funny because I, 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 I think about like the NFTs and stuff, right? I think you've been pretty resistant to that as, as much as I have. Um, and it's, it's, so, it, it, it's, it's frustrating because to your point, everybody that's coming in all they know is this little piece, this little sliver and context is everything. Like context is everything, especially in something like a hobby as deep and rich as the sports card hobby, right? We have so much data that if you be, if you're narrow focus and narrow minded, like shame on you, like you have the data there, you have the, the history for, to help you make an educated decision. NFTs were tough because there was no, there was no standard set. There was no history. So I could, I could see why people were getting rubbed the wrong way. But man, oh man, talk about another asset bubble getting absolutely deflated quickly. Yeah, and I think that's another one of those things. Like, you know, I always say there's, there's things that I'm interested in. There's things that I enjoy, but I enjoy them at the right price. You know, I, I think there is, a, there is a future where there will be some NFTs that have viability and that from both a collectible and a utility perspective, but what we saw this giant bubble that went way, that it grew way beyond the, the, maybe the true, the true reality of, of what could be sustainable and what could be supported. Yeah. It's the same thing we were seeing, I think with sealed wax, you know, there's a, I love opening wax, but I love opening wax only up to a certain price point. And then yeah. it's not, it doesn't make sense anymore. Right. And, and I think we've seen that with some of the cards that, Yes, there, there's interest there. Yes, there might be a certain segment that's growing more than it has in the past, 
but there's a point where it's grown too far. And I think that's what, what we have yeah. sometimes tried to highlight is just rein it in a little bit. <laughs> we might be, we might be getting out beyond our skis here on, on some of these different segments. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know, the, the stat, the data that I always focus on, it's, it goes back to the breaker culture reports I put out was always supply. And, and it will always confuse people too, because it's, it's like, why are you focusing so much on what's available in the market and how much supply exists, what the print run is. And for those newcomers coming into the hobby, it's like, you, you don't realize if, if you don't control supply, it does not matter how much demand we have. It just doesn't matter because there's no accountability in this hobby. We know that. They will just print until they can't print anymore. And that's what we're seeing right now. My goodness, they're just printing like crazy. And supply is out of control. And you can't fix that. You can't fix that unless you just completely transform some sort of segment of the hobby, which we know you can't do. You can't just create 2 million new buyers. Doesn't happen. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely not overnight. That's that's the type of thing that creates a, a long time to help generate and craft and grow and um, and season that that new basic collectors to to increase a collecting base at that level for sure. One of the other pieces of content that I wanted to touch on that I really enjoyed was Hobby Palooza, and you you did the original one a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I believe you did another one last year, right? There was a, a second version of that. Will there be a Hobby Palooza 22? Yes. So there will be. Mike is the grandfather of the Hobby Palooza. And so he is, that's his little, that's his little child. And so, yeah, he was pretty excited. I think even last week he's gone for a couple of days, but he's been working on kind of filling that out. And I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was a, it was a fun fun opportunity to, you know, to bring up together a bunch of different creators covering a bunch of different topics in that, in, in that condensed window. Um, so yeah. I'm glad to hear that, that that's going to be back. Another piece of content that you guys have come out with recently, I wanted to spend some time talking about, and that is your new show, Chasing Cardboard. Tell me a little bit about that and the inspiration behind it. Yeah. So Chasing Cardboard is, is the biggest endeavor that we've kind of jumped into all in and it, and it, it, it evolved out of this idea that Matt Coleman, so Matt Coleman's the producer and editor and, you know, camera savant. He had been thinking about this for a couple of years, like, hey, why don't we take American pickers, pawn stars, blend it into some sort of like version for the hobby. And when he joined the bench clear team, you know, a year and a half ago, we had started talking about it. Like, what does that look like? What is it going to cost? And so middle of last year, he's, he, he kind of scripted out what we thought a couple episodes could be. And it, at that point, it seemed really easy because the hobby was just exploding. You could find collections everywhere and you could probably just create content until you're, you know, you, you couldn't walk anymore, but like it dried up, you know, it dried up at the end of the summer last year, prices started collapsing. And so we had to be very careful about what we were buying. And so we, we decided in November, let's go film a couple pilot episodes, see how much we like it. And let's go pitch it to some TV networks. Let's create it like to that high of standard, like that, that high quality and see if we can get this thing on broadcast TV. So we did, we created the first two episodes. We pitched it to three networks and two of them came back, watched it, said, great job. You guys, this is TV quality. We don't think the sports car market is big enough for broadcast. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and I, you know, I don't disagree with that 
Uh, and and it, the challenge they put back on us was one, try to make it like, try to restructure it a little bit so that the, uh, like the non collector would care about this mm-hmm. and then go test it out on YouTube, start a brand new channel, see how fast you can grow it and what the response will be to episodes. And so we, I, we took the challenge serious. And so we created, we ended up creating three episodes for that first little group and we released them, you know, a couple months ago over the course of a few weeks. And, uh, we're, we're already through with producing four, five, and six, and okay. seven and eight this weekend. Uh, and I, I, I mean, we had expectations of let's try to get to 15,000 views per episode. That's kind of our threshold. And let's make sure watch time is really good. And let's make sure engagement's good. And I would say on every metric that we measured, it's exceeded our expectations. That's awesome. And so, uh, how many is there going to be in this kind of first season or, or are you kind of recording? Is it season two kind of that you're already working on right now or how, or is it still kind of in that initial run? Yeah, it's still kind of in the initial run. We throw the, the, the term season around loosely, right? I, I get the okay. seasons should be larger, but we, we try to just bucket them together. So people kind of knew what to expect. Uh, and really we, we figured if season, like if the first three episodes did weren't received very well, we're not going to drop the $10,000 required per episode to produce sure. these things. Right. Like I said, we're not going to just throw money in the toilet. Um, but we felt like it was a good enough response for us to keep pursuing it for a little bit and see if we can make this really stick. Yeah. I really enjoyed watching the first few. Um, the quality is, is top notch, you know, and it's out there. I like what you've done to support each episode as well. You know, it's the, if you go to the the YouTube channel, it's not just the three episodes that are out there, right? There's yeah. intros to the different people who are on the show. There's some other things that have you've done to support it. When you initially lost, launched those first ones, I thought it was a pretty creative idea to do kind of a, a treasure hunt uh, along with it, you know, to, to find some of the different clues that you'd you'd embedded within the the different videos, so I thought you had done some pretty cool things to help drive some of that engagement. So I'm I'm glad to hear that there's more coming. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'd be I'd be curious to know your feedback. Right, you have to balance this idea of telling stories, which are great. People love stories, especially like hobby oriented stories. Us collectors love that stuff, but the normal person doesn't care as much about like why I collected Mickey Mantle growing up. Most of the modern feedback, like the non-collectors feedback we get is, this is great. How much money did you make? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about like what you found in those, you know, those, those lots you bought? Balancing that's been the most difficult part of all this. What's, where do we spend most of our time and who do we try to please? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like that. How much did you make? Question is is one of the first questions that non collectors ask, right? Because they know there's something on there. But I I challenge you a little bit. I think people do like story, right? If if you're telling a a good story about why something is important to you, why that's meaningful to you, the the story with the guy who is going to sell you a collection, and then as as you guys talked through it, yeah. there was second second thoughts maybe. And I think that that story resonated with me as well. And you can watch, those of you out there can watch to find out uh, what, what actually happened, whether or not that was a, a collection that, that Ty was able to get or not. But, but I, I think there is an interest in story behind some of those things that can draw people in who, who may not enjoy the cards, but enjoy um, stories about why people are passionate about different things. Yeah, that's good feedback. That's good feedback. We'll see. Episode four is, is, a, is a pretty strong story 
So we'll, we'll see how that's received. And in fact, we debated on even including a lot of it, but we did. So I, can't, I, I actually, I can't wait to see your feedback on episode four. When's episode four going to release? It'll be June uh, 13th. June 13th. Okay. So that will yep. have probably just come out um, a little bit prior to when, when this, cool. this goes live. And so episode four should be available for you to go and, and check out on their YouTube channel. What else do you guys have going on this year? Yeah. So we will be at the national. Uh, we'll have a, at least a little presence at the national. Um, we're hosting a, a bench clear sponsored card show up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho on July 9th. Okay. If anyone's in the Pacific Northwest in Spokane or, or Idaho, like come on up. It's, it's already full. So we have 50 plus tables sold. Um, so we're doing that and then we'll be on the road filming a lot. Hopefully we can align some time for you and I to do a ride along and some chasing cardboard stuff. That's what I would love. That'd be, that'd be awesome. If you're going to come through and come in through the Illinois uh, area, that'd be a lot of fun. What else do you want people to know about what you've got going on? Where can people find you? Where can people find the show? I want to make sure as many people can track that down as possible. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So if you go to YouTube, type in chasing cardboard, uh, you'll, you should see it pop up. There'll be some other, uh, conflicting videos that'll pop up too. We didn't really back. We didn't really back channel that keyword when we, <laughs> we locked it down, but there's like a pornography help video or something for like chasing cardboard butterflies. That's not us. Huh? Huh? We're, yeah. We're the, uh, card collecting guys. Yeah. So you can find us there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and wait, we weren't, we weren't really social media. Like we do Twitter. We do Instagram a little, but we, we keep being told like you need to do more like YouTube short stuff and TikTok stuff. You're the TikTok guy. There you go. Yeah. Like needs your advice on how to integrate TikTok videos into what we're doing. Cause apparently we're missing the boat. Yeah. I, uh, that's one of the things I, I really appreciate about, uh, Gary V was that I finally listened to him when he was saying, get onto TikTok. And at the beginning of 2020, that's, that's one of the things I jumped on was TikTok and, um, I've, I've done all right there. I think I'm up to maybe 6,000 followers or something like that. Um, seems to, seems to be working all right with, with my connection. The thing I like most about TikTok right now though, is that I'll use it to just kind of do whatever I want to do. Right. You know, sometimes it's, it's hobby content, mostly hobby content, but sometimes I'll get on there and tell a dad joke or, you know, show some other just random thing that's, that's going on. And, um, I just have a lot of fun kind of kind of treating it as a, here's what's on my mind today type of thing. And so um, yeah. I've, I've experimented with, you know, different styles of videos and I, I don't know, I have a lot of fun with it. It's been fun. Well, Hey, I really appreciate you coming on today, spending a few minutes, catching up, talking a little bit about what you've got going on, on the, the, the breaker culture channel as, as well as the, the brand new chasing cardboard <laughs> channel and, and bench clear and, and all of the stuff that you've got going on. So I, I really appreciate the, the time today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. 
Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party. Bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sports card shop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world. Well, thank you for tuning in again today. I really appreciate it. I would love to hear any feedback you've got for me and the show and this conversation, whether you liked it or whether you didn't like it, I'd like to know. I encourage you to reach out to Ty. Check out what he's got going on. I will have all of their links in the, the show notes section for this episode. Well, that is all I have for you today. So I'll catch you next time.